0: Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, the show for business owners looking to acquire, scale, or exit a business. Before we get on with today's program, we just wanted to let you know that the Buy, Grow, Sell team have been working really hard to come up with more resources that add more value to your journey. This includes a range of webinars, tools, and other events, including an online summit where we get some of the industry's leading experts to come and share their insights. If you'd like to know more, go to buygrowsell.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. You know, not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. It's just a fact. You know, if it was a, an easy thing to do, everybody would do it and it would probably be worth nothing. So being an entrepreneur and a business owner can be an extraordinary journey. It can have great rewards. It can be incredibly grueling and challenging. It can be incredibly stressful. It takes a pretty interesting mix of skills and introspection to be able to navigate that kind of journey. My next guest, Angela Maida, um, did exactly that. She is absolutely an entrepreneur at heart. And you know, this going through this episode, I kept chuckling at all of the traits of typical entrepreneurs that I just saw coming out in Angela and really enjoyed chatting to her as she shares her story about a company philosophy that she built and ran for some 10 years before finally exiting. And Angela was kind enough to share that experience, including the ups, the downs, the emotional roller coasters, the the sort of internal strength that you need to find to be able to grow and navigate a, a business like that. Now it's a really interesting journey, and a, there's a lot of stuff there that I think, as a business owner, you know, you'll relate to, and and there's some great advice to help you on your journey. This is Angela Mader. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the Buy Grow Sell podcast.
1: Thank you, Simon. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure, indeed. It's lovely to meet you, and and I'm appreciative of you uh, you t- making the time to come on the show. Anyway.
1: Well, no, thank you.
0: I know we're going to talk about your business philosophy, which you yeah. founded and ultimately exited. But um, maybe, maybe I could kick it over to you and get you to give us a little bit of background. Maybe what kind of led to to starting that business?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, well, like all things, it was not how I planned it. Uh, I, you know, my undergrad it was in computer science uh, here in Colorado. And I moved to California, um, worked in the high-tech industry and learned quickly that I was not a coder. I am a marketer. I'm a brander. And I loved people and products and things. And my passion at the time um, was really fitness. And I learned pretty early on that I love creating things that don't exist. And so it just happened by chance that I didn't have a fitness journal that I liked. All of them were ugly. They were all the same page for like 300 pages, like super ugly and boring. No offense. Uh, (laughs) But I was like, you know, I I need to create something better. And at the time I was in my MBA program at UC Irvine and um, started working on this project for this product called Fitbook. And, you know, everybody in the program was working on these really high tech ventures, you know, saving the world. And I'm over here with my, my journal, and um, and it was kind of interesting because nobody really believed in it, um, but I believed wholeheartedly. I think that's the most beautiful thing about young entrepreneurs is, gosh, sometimes, we, um, it, sometimes it takes that um, naivety um, to really to get something going. So that was what ultimately led me to creating that product in, in 2007 and ended up launching that company in 2008. But like I said, I was in marketing and I was running a marketing agency at the time, Um, Because I really love the high tech space and marketing, but this passion product was kind of the thing that kept me up at night, would work on it, wee hours of the morning, and um, ultimately launched a company in 2008, making no money, as you know how that goes, um, starting a company. So that's kind of the background behind, you know, the idea, what inspired me, um, and ultimately what led to starting the company.
0: That's cool. I, I you know, I, I'm just hearing these, you know, the the checklist of the uh, of the typical entrepreneur, and I'm starting to tick boxes here, you know, uh, loves creating things, you know, diverse sort of range of interests, uh, saw a problem often related to what they, how they're living, and wanted to solve it. People didn't believe in it. You know, yes, like, it, it really yep. is a
1: checklist. And those are the things I think that drive entrepreneurs, right? It's, I always say it's a balance of like, you've got to take constructive criticism, but at the same time, if you don't believe in it more than everybody else doesn't, um, good luck because it's it's tough out there.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I I think, you know, for every, you know, there's a lot of business owners out there who aren't necessarily on the creative entrepreneurial kind of end of that spectrum. Yeah. But, um, but I do think that every business owner understands that whole piece of, in your history, there's always going to be a point somewhere where you're kind of going, do I really want to keep doing this? Or, geez, this is hard. And if you don't have a bit of passion and a bit of drive and a bit of something other than just money or whatever else driving you, then most of us probably wouldn't make it, right?
1: Oh, if I did it for the money, Simon, I would have quit in like year one. Um, It it was for sure not the money, um, was not the motivating factor. In fact, it never was for me. I never thought I would exit, by the way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah. Well, and I've heard that plenty of times too. So it's uh, one of my favorite little sayings when I'm chatting to business owners, you know, I talk to a lot of business owners every day, but it's uh, I do meet people who go, I never want to exit. I love my business. I'm just going to do this forever. And I'm like... Okay, you do understand you exit one day, right? Like whether you like it or not, you know, you you kind of got a plan for it or you get carried out in a box. So yeah,
1: and, and we can talk about that. But you know, for me it was like, okay, well, so am I gonna do this till I'm eighty? I don't know, because that's a trajectory I'm on right now. You know, I, I ran the business for ten years and there was part of me that's like, Well, I could do that, but it's either that or sometimes exiting, you exit good or you exit bad. It's one or the other. It's never in the middle. So
0: Yeah, and and like you said before about plans and you know things not going to plan, I should say. You know, you can, uh, I'm a big advocate. Plan what your ideal exit should look like, but, geez, build in a way that gives you options because, you know, <laughs> nothing ever pans out exactly the way you think it will.
1: <laughs> Certainly not in business anyway or life.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So t- can you talk me through this, uh, the, the, the earlier years of the business? Like ha- what did that? What was that like? Were you on your own? Did you have a business partner? Did you, you know, what, what point did you have a product that you were able to start selling?
1: yeah i i had one investor in the business angel investor early on he was a friend uh he wanted to buy a marketing company and have me run it and i was like i don't want to do that i have an idea for this product and so it was a classic cocktail napkin we went to this restaurant in orange county italian lunch and i wrote on a napkin how much money i needed of course i always needed more than that but you know that was the initial conversation he's like i i okay, let's do this. And so he was my business partner um, and wasn't just an angel investor, but a good friend. So, you know, whenever we got a big order, one time we had like a thousand orders in one day, we're both out in the garage, like putting them together and shipping them out. So he really was a... A partner in a lot of ways from just helping me get off the ground to eventually being an important part of securing additional capital and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was just um, very little money to get it started. We had a product in year one. So we, we launched in January of 20, 2008. And then um, we actually. Um, Went to the this World Fitness Conference idea in July of 2008 and showed up there with our products. And um, I had my business partner at the time. I had my graphic designer, who's still one of my very best friends, and my mom. And it was us that was our trade show. And on either side of us was an application of some sort. You know, it was these um, oh these these apps that don't even exist anymore, to be honest with you. But you know, digitizing fitness. And and here I am with my book. And I'm like, well, it has a pen, you know, and it's 12 weeks and it helps you reach your goals. And people are just looking at me like you're crazy. And, and it was so coincidental and, and such a blessing that on the day that we launched the product Kaiser Permanente, adjust launched a research study that writing down what you eat and your goals increases your um, weight loss success by double and people were flocking. It was amazing. Um, And so that was kind of the kickoff of the product and and flocking meaning, I mean, we didn't do, I didn't, I was profitable in year one. That's because I didn't pay myself a dime. It's easy to say you're profitable if you're not taking any money out. So, you know, it was, it was early days. It was schlepping books to trade shows for years Um, I had one product for the first three years. Um, funny enough, when I sold the company, that product still made up about 80% of our revenue. Um, I call it, you know, entrepreneurs are squirrels, you know, like I want to create more, I want to do more. We created over 50 SKUs in the time that we grew the business. Uh, but that's still that one product was our bread and butter, that flagship product. Um, the biggest you know i I had three goals when i started the business and it was i want to be in target i want to be in 24-hour fitness and i want to be on oprah and i accomplished two of those three um and that was really i I think the 24-hour fitness was a big deal um but then you know what happened to 24-hour fitness uh so that was kind of crazy how um we sold our products into there but then they got acquired um but target really was the game changer for us you know um we we approached. We meaning I, <laughs> because I was the salesperson for all ten years. It was just how it worked. Um, I tried to hire salespeople. It never really went well. Um, but I had so much passion. Um, even this many years later, I still get passionate talking about the product and the company and the brand because I believe so much in it. It was my heart and soul. And so I I approached Target and I said, Hey, you know. I, First of all, it was really hard to get a buyer to look at my product, but sent one in the mail. He didn't get it, sent another one in a red box with like tissue and made it look all cute. And he said, you know, I was ready for him to tell me you're crazy. And he didn't. He gave me a hundred store test. Um, Two months later, we moved to a 500 store test. And by September of 2011, we were in all Target stores nationwide. So that was kind of the beginning of our retail boom, so to speak.
0: Nice, nice. Well, nothing... uh (laughs) Nothing gives you more confidence than a nice uh, than a bigger order from a, a, a big company like Target. But um
1: yeah.
0: I should state just for the record, awesome achieving two out of those three goals. Clearly o- Oprah's missing out. She obviously I mean, doesn't know what she's... That you know, should sail Oprah, on. so, you know,
1: I don't
0: know what to say. <laughs> I'll put put a call through to Oprah. <laughs> yeah, I'll put a call through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you, how did it feel that first conference? You've created a product. You're putting yourself out there really, I guess, on this open, you know, event. I mean, really, entrepreneurs, you're opening yourself up to criticism, really, aren't you? Like, how did that feel?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny. I'm actually doing a talk tomorrow night, so I I have a picture of my first trade show. Um, Any slide, first slide is that because it it brings me back to those beginning days to kind of put me in that mode of what it feels like um, to be an entrepreneur again. And I was just sheer excitement. I was a little nervous, but I've always been um, confident in whatever I'm doing because I believe so much in it. I can't, I can't do anything that I don't believe in, but of course I had, you know, people coming out to me, "Well, well, do you have an app? Um, I had my, I could rapid fire, tell you all the reasons why apps don't work. I mean, I was just a little spicy and I still am. <laughs> that, that's bodes me well, that bodes well. Um, I had a ton of personal trainers because this was a conference for personal trainers. Cause my idea was, I don't want to go to the consumer in the beginning. I want to go to the people that work with the consumer. So go to personal trainers, gyms. I started doing wholesale a lot. That was um, how we got into sporting goods stores, gyms and, and personal trainers and things like that. Uh, but personal trainers would come up to me and be like, "Well, I created a journal," <laughs> and my sassy response was, "Well, where is it?" <laughs> and it's because, and I—the I, reason I told that story is because I tell people all the time: an idea um, doesn't really matter if it has, never comes to fruition. Um, an idea, I would say, is a dime a dozen. So if you don't do it, who cares?
0: Yeah, I look totally agree with that, and it's—and it's—I've always found in the businesses we've run too. Um, my wife and i have run every business together and we've always been very forthcoming with information we share fairly openly what people might consume to be what people might suggest is quite confidential information even about how we kind of go about doing things and 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 i always get even to this day i get asked the question like aren't you worried that these people are just going to rip you off take your information (laughs) and every time now it makes me smile because i go man (laughs) like if it was that easy everybody would be doing it right. Like anybody can take my information and think that they can go and start a business, but then they will find like we did that there's a five-year grind to get it to the point where it starts doing anything meaningful.
1: Most people give up before they even get started, in my opinion. Um, Totally. You know, I'm sure you get this a lot, but, and sorry to any young entrepreneurs that have asked if they can pick my brain, but I have this, this, annoyance with that term because i'm like well pick pick my brain means you want to gain expertise from me which is fine but what have you done so i always kind of turn it back to them okay well give me a list of the 10 things you would love to learn from our conversation because what i've found is most people are number one they're either wanting um your expertise for free or they want your money and and neither of those in my opinion um are to be they should be earned so I think part of the beautiful part of being an entrepreneur is I had to figure it all out on my own. That does not mean I didn't have people that, um, that, that, you know, spoke life into my business, that I had board members that were so helpful. I had retailers that gave me a shot. Um, but I did not wait around for someone to tell me how to do it. And I think that is the one trait of an entrepreneur that is absolutely critical is figure it out. Just Figure it out, and um, if you're waiting for someone to tell you, waiting for someone to give you the money, if you're waiting for someone to tell you where you can manufacture that or who the connections are, um, it's going to be an uphill battle because no one's going to hand it to you. In fact, you're going to have everybody um, telling you why it won't work, not why it will. So um, I think that tenacity is like so pivotal. And if somebody can't come back to me with the things I'd like to learn from our conversation, I know they're not that serious. So I've just saved them a ton of money. You know what I mean? I feel like they owe me now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well absolutely i mean just in that little engagement there's a lot of lessons in there right so you know i think i think all of us need to i mean it's too easy to get caught up in things these days even get distracted by stuff and as you say uh, it's, it's really making internal excuses as to the reason why you're not doing stuff too so
1: and that said just so i don't come across as a complete like hard i spend my time mentoring startups now and working with young entrepreneurs and it is my passion um but it's all under the guise of like it's something i love doing um but people that come and want kind of that well how do you do it well do you have connections well who gave you money like those kind of questions i'm like meh, yeah
0: (laughs) well you're asking they're asking the wrong questions right and that's that's the thing i mean i i I've been fortunate. I have, I've had many mentors in my life from when I was a very young lad. Um, but I think the role I, I see universally is that good mentors are able to hold up a mirror and make you take a, a, a different kind of look at yourself. And and good mentors and teachers don't tell you what to do. They, they help you learn by looking inward and looking at things around you and perspective and helping you come up with the idea or
1: versus handing it to you. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. Otherwise, if it's just given to you, it's worthless, right? Exactly.
1: And I I also think that there's this innate um, X factor that entrepreneurs have, you know? And so I think in, in early conversations, you can tell, I mean, like I said, I work with a lot of startups now, and I think you can just tell the ones that have it and, and those excite me, you know, I'm like, all right, what are you doing? What are you working on? Let's, yeah, let's have coffee. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's get this going. And and I'm more excited about that. Um, and those are the people that often don't ask, right? Cause you're just like, oh, you've got it. So anyway, side conversation, but yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. That's cool. No, I love it. I love it. It's um, from time to time. Uh, my wife, Shanti and I, we, you know, we get approached by people saying, oh, we'd love to work with you guys, or we'd like to do something. Or we've got this idea for a business, you know, would you be interested in coming in? And And it's interesting, often I'm I'm always really curious because a lot of these people, most of them, in fact, have never run their own business. And I'm always a little bit cautious um, of people coming straight out of corporate and thinking they're just going to jump into a business. Um, And don't get me wrong, I I did some time in corporate. Um, You did
1: some time. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) You did your time in corporate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's it, right? And it was, I, I... well, we always laugh. Everybody in our firm is a corporate SKP, right? We all. We, we, sometimes in life, I think you've got to work in an environment to truly understand what you don't want for the rest of your life. And and you know, I did lots of little things as a kid to make money, and you know, everything. I'd I'd climb in the mucky canals and get golf balls and clean them and sell them on. The, I did everything you could imagine to make money as a kid because I was fascinated by it. And, I yeah, sold right. pickles,
1: and, okay, Simon. I sold pickles.
0: Nice. I've, I've got a great pickle idea that we could, you know, I'll have to tell it to you over a glass of wine sometime. Yes, but.
1: <laughs> yes, pickle venture. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I do, it, it always, I'm always a little bit curious and cautious about people coming out of corporate because I, they're not used to the idea of having to start and run a business and grind it out and do the hard work. Not, I'm not saying they're lazy or they're afraid of hard work. It's just a completely different scenario when you're doing it with somebody else's money. You're massively resourced. You have minions who do things for you. And and to be honest, it's actually my wife, Shanti, who constantly asks the question to them. So what do you see yourself doing? Like what is your role? And are you prepared to like hustle, man? Like you've got to, and that doesn't mean doing the wrong thing by anybody, it means like you've got to be willing to do what it takes and do you have that in you?
1: I agree. And I think a lot of times what I hear in in hearing people talk about why they want to start their own business is they have an idea and they think they can do it better. And I'm like, great. Awesome. Uh, they want flexibility. They want um, freedom. They want um, to kind of work and, and do what they want. They don't want to be able to go on vacation. <laughs> I just laugh because I'm like, you know, I I ran the business for 10 years. It was a grind all 10 years. Um, and then I go and marry a software and a software entrepreneur, you know? And I'm like, I can relate to it cause it's, it's a grind. And I'm like, whenever people say they want to make a ton of money, go on vacation, work when they want. and like, then do not start your own business. Take your PTO, keep your 401k because it's, it is hard. It is really, really yeah. hard. And every day is something new that is completely out of your control. But there is a small group of people in this world that are excited by that. And those are entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I, I keep saying, if it was easy, everyone would do it, and if exactly. everyone was doing it, it'd be worth nothing, right? So, You're right. You're right. Um, I, I actually went to this um, I went to this awards night once, and uh, and a friend of mine, Jemima, she she was getting this award. She got up there to to accept it, and yeah, the room's full of a lot of people doing startups who are, you know, they're out there, they're they put themselves on the line, they're having a go. Some of them were very successful. Some of them were trying to make it work, whatever. But she. And I'm I'm probably going to butcher her her, uh, her her little part of her speech here, but but she got up there. She goes, you know, I just it's a shout out to all you entrepreneurs in the room. You're the only people in the world that I know that'll give up a a, a forty hour a week job, paying you eighty grand a year for an eighty hour week, paying <laughs> you forty, 40 grand, grand a year. year.
1: <laughs> it is so true. It is. So funny story, early days, I had just, so I was 27 at the time in grad school, had just landed my first six-figure job. And my mom, I come from a super small town. We owned a donut shop in town and, you know, we, we, we weren't from, we were from very humble beginnings. I'll put it that way. And so to my mom, the fact that I had just got a six-figure job that had benefits and a 401k and security and I had a great title and all of this and I worked there three months and I was like, mom, I'm leaving to start my own marketing agency.
0: <laughs> but she you already had the dream. She got passed out. Yeah.
1: Like, she was just like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> and you're right. I, you're right. I mean, granted I, I landed clients pretty quick so I'd been in the industry, but still I was not making that in my first year. But the reason I did it is I wanted the flexibility to work on this other business at night. I had a path um i don't know if it was a path at the time and my mom would definitely tell you it wasn't but later on she was like you're so brave you're so brave
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> brave, yeah, yeah.
1: stupid i'm not sure which one but <laughs> it works uh,
0: it's like it's like uh nervousness and excitement i think it's the same chemical reaction just somewhere there's a fine line there's between a very you know <laughs> fine
1: line, very fine line yeah. we walk it <laughs>
0: totally totally I love it I think I have say but our our, you know my parents are the same thing they came from a generation of you kind of get a really good job you hang on to it for life and you know that was obviously radically changing as you know certainly I was growing up and you were growing up but it just you know I think the first time I I I left corporate and banking and all this sort of stuff where now we're going to start a business and everyone in the family went say what
1: what why why yeah I was actually that's a funny story I was I was actually the first one to graduate from college in my family, and that was a big deal, especially where we were from. Um, but I was raised in family business, like I mentioned. My dad had a bakery growing up. Um, my grandfather, still at the age of eighty-seven, has a car dealership that he's owned for going on sixty-five years. Um, you know, so this entrepreneurship kind of runs in my blood, and I I do credit those early days of, you know, I started working at my dad's donut shop when I was eight. Um, I started little businesses within these businesses. So I had a full-time lemonade stand and I had a pickle stand and I had a fudge stand. I mean, I had all these little things I was doing. Plus I had jobs there. I think once I got to corporate America, it was so overrated. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is boring. And does anybody really... Sorry, this sounds off. Op- like, what does everybody do? You know, there's just a lot of people, and I don't know what's happening. And and I felt like, and and I think there is a part of entrepreneurs we love control. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but when I would see things happening. Um, I worked for a startup, it was a, a tech startup later on after I left corporate America. And so I worked for a few startups before I had my own. Um, but it drove me crazy watching um, a CEO that treated his employees horribly. I am, so, I'm an Enneagram eight. So to me, I'm like, no, like I will, I, I'm, I'm respectful, but I would talk back to authority because I'm like, this is not right which does not go over well, by the way, with a boss. So, you know, I just realized this isn't cut out for me, you know, and maybe I won't make it, but I'm going to for sure try my hardest. But I would rather if I didn't make it for it to be on my shoulders, not someone else's.
0: Yeah. Amen. I, I, I hear what you're saying about the control element. I hear because... <laughs> It's not good I, in all
1: areas of your life, Simon. Not good.
0: No, it's not. And I think, you know, <laughs> one thing about being an entrepreneur too is you get enough smackdowns that it teaches you enough humility to, to know sometimes when to uh, listen.
1: It is the most humbling thing in the entire world. Like running your own business is like people think you're like cocky or confident. And like, no, I just learned to smack this look on my face because most of the time you feel beat up. Most of the time, you just got told no five times before you had your morning coffee and you still have to show up on your team meeting and tell them why we're going to crush it. And then you're like, I don't know how I'm making payroll next week, but we're going to do this. You know, so all the growing pains.
0: For sure. Oh, man. Yes, I feel it. I absolutely feel it. I really feel the yeah, the granularity of it. It's, uh, yeah, that's cool. So, so talk to me a little bit more about philosophy, like where, what was the pathway? I mean, 2008, I mean, I know you um, exited at around sort of 2000, I think it was 18?
1: 18, yep.
0: So, you know, what I, ha- I, I don't like about a lot of podcasts is that they kind of go, oh yeah, I started in 2008 and I exited in 2018 and oh yeah, it all just sounds like this, you know, success story overnight ad water. Clearly you, you've demonstrated that it wasn't like that, but what was the pathway from 2008? Like, did the company grow? How many staff did you end up having? You know, what what did all that sort of stuff look like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, our, we always ran really lean and that was my, that was what I wanted. I didn't, I, I, my team called me their for employer. Like there was, you know, a really close knit team. By the time I sold the company, there was only, I think six of us. Um, and you know, we grew, I mean, my first my first assistant that helped me with orders was my cousin, um, who was in college that needed like a part-time gig, you know, and I could afford to pay her like $10 an hour at the time. I don't even remember now, but you know, it, it wasn't anything glamorous. Um, you know, as we started developing products, it really was Target. You know, first we landed Sports Chalet, 24 Hour Fitness, like I said, the sporting goods and kind of gyms. We were doing wholesale orders. Um, But Target really was the game changer as far as them giving us a shot, because what I did from there was I really hung our hat on Target. So when I tried to get a meeting with CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, um, and I had international distributors by the time I sold, and it was, you know, we are one of the top five selling SKUs in the fitness aisle at Target. Um, I've just always said that, you know, sales speak louder than any marketing ever will. You know, you can make it pretty, you can make it, you can have testimonials, you can have all this stuff, but if things aren't selling, the business is not gonna go anywhere. And so Target really was a game changer for us. Um, We went on to land CVS, Walgreens, like I mentioned, um, Walmart later on. those were really our largest accounts. We were in target Canada. We know what happened there. Um, and then international, um, was something I dabbled in, but I learned quickly that it it was just, I wasn't making the kind of money for the volume that I was doing. And so I kind of pulled back on international distribution, but you know, by the time I sold the business, we were in 16,000 stores nationwide. Um, we had a really strong online um, direct-to-consumer business as well. We would launch products there, see what worked, before we'd take those to retailers and vice versa. Retailers would come to us, and I mean, I was famous for going into a meeting with Target and asking them what they're needing. And actually, the, the funniest one was Walgreens. They're like, "We really need like a fitness calendar." And I'm like, "Awesome, yeah, we have one. Can have that for you." So I go back to my team, and they're like, "Angela, we do not have one." I'm like, "I know, we will." <laughs> And do you know how long it takes to create a fitness calendar, 365 days with 365 tips and 365 inspirations. And it was literally three weeks of nonstop grind. My graphic designer, one of my best friends, like we were like literally on the computer together every day for hours. And we we launched that product and I think it was almost 7,000 stores in Walgreens and that ended up being a top seller. So, you know, you That's just, so I cool. always say, say yes and figure it out later because otherwise someone else is going to do it.
0: Yeah, you just ticked another one of those boxes on my entrepreneur list. <laughs> if someone's willing to buy it, I'm willing to create it.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, like I mentioned, we don't need to go into it, but my husband's story of how he started his uh, software company was the same. I mean, it was a very, very large company that you would know. And he said yes, had a purchase order for like a half million dollar project and. He didn't have it yet. So, I mean, it, it's just such a, and, and he delivered. That's a thing. I mean, I always say, if you cannot deliver, don't make promises you can't keep. But most entrepreneurs are crazy enough to make it happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they, what are they saying? Uh, um. <laughs>
1: a sucker is born every minute. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I was going to say, how do you how do you uh, eat an elephant? Well, obviously one bite at a time, but you know, you but take your first bite and then chew like crazy, right? Yeah, like, just- yeah,
1: you just yeah, you keep going, and and so that was really that was, you know, I would say that we had a really strong brand, you know, we had customers that loved our products. I would be blown away by customers that would post pictures on Instagram or Facebook. And it would be like their collection of like 30 or 40 fit, fit books that they've been using. And we had um, one of our users, they, they all became friends because I was so invested in their lives and one of them was on uh, in the new york Post for having lost 80 pounds and um having to stop taking her heart medication because she used our products and so we would sell these stories of just real life and i think in an age where again i i mentioned i'm an eight i'm a i'm a charger i want to change the world and so in my own little way And I was so sick of seeing everything out there that was talking about, you know, fit and skinny and lose weight overnight. And I'm like, that is such a load of crap. And part of what I forgot about my story was um, I had battled eating disorders for about 14 years. And so this was something that was in me that was just like, gosh, this is not a healthy way to live life. And, and I over, it was over time, journaling actually helped me get through that. Um, but in that, I wanted to help other people do it. Cause I would go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. It barely existed when I started the company, but, uh, I was so, um, I wanted to make a difference in a healthy and positive way using goals and journaling and something that was wholesome. You know, our brand was super wholesome. Um, just inspirational. And I think it was different than anything else out there. There was no, there was no booty shots on our Instagram. There were no curse words. There were no, there was, it was all positive and healthy. And and I think it stood out in a market that in the fitness industry anyway, it's like a $40 billion market and it's, it can get kind of trashy sometimes.
0: Yeah. And look, let's be honest. We've got a far more educated and far more cynical consumer these days too, right? I mean everyone's sick of seeing all the, as a friend of mine said, you know, typical Instagrammable bullshit. Yeah that is <laughs> exactly. just meaningless. Um so yeah, no, that's cool. I can see really where your passion comes from. You know, there's yeah. a, you know
1: I, I really did. I I think that was part of the hard part of selling it. And I know we'll get there, but part of the hard part of selling it was it become as an entrepreneur it can become your identity, but it had become my friends. It had become my social platform It had been how I connected and related to people It had become so much because it was me, right? It was me living and breathing the brand. And so, you know, we can talk about this, but you know, after you sell, you're like, okay, well, what now, you know? So it it was challenging in the beginning to, to, even though I was very happy, it was a very wonderful exit for me. There was part of me that's like, well, now what I don't have this anymore, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and such a common experience for entrepreneurs which, um, you know, is really, really, uh, you know, certainly goes to the heart of a lot of what we talk about with Exit Advisory, our core business is this, you know, understanding your business as the asset and how do you manage that and think about what you want for it. Um, But you, you mentioned earlier when we first started that you didn't ever imagine selling or exiting and all that sort of stuff. Like where did that start to change? Where did exiting come into your thinking?
1: Well, it was interesting. So I mentioned we were in the fitness aisle at Target. We did multiple in caps, you know, at the holidays and and New Year's and stuff. And we had um, quite a few. I think we had three SKUs in Target at the time. And I wanted over in the journal aisle because what I was seeing was the journal got journal aisle got a lot more traction. Target at the time was um, decreasing their footprint of the fitness aisle because everything was going online. And so I saw that as this aisle is going to be shrinking and I'm, you know, one of the top selling products, but if you start comparing me to some of the top selling items in that aisle, am I going to last? And so I really wanted to be dual located. So I wanted to be in the journal aisle. I talked to the journal buyer and they said, you know, we work with like three companies. They're all journal distributors. There's three main companies. I'm like, great. Who are they? So I reached out to um, all three of them. I had conversations with two and ended up choosing the one I wanted to go with. So we created a licensed product for them. And the company name was CR Gibson. Um, it was a company owned by CSS Industries. And and they had a ton of journals in that aisle. And so I created one. And um, lo and behold, it was, I think, the number two top-selling item in the aisle. And that item was doing over $2 million a year in I mean, and I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a lot of a lot of journals. Yeah. And so what happened was our, our contract came to expire and um, I wasn't going to renew. <laughs> I, not to be spiteful or anything, but I was like, well, we have a top selling item. I wonder if the journal buyer will let me take it direct. Um, and lo and behold, the CEO calls me and says, Hey, have you ever thought of selling your business? Uh, he liked all of our products, the entire brand. Um, and so it was one of those, huh? I thought he was calling to say, like, well, here's why we need to renew and we'll negotiate, blah, blah, blah. And um, so it was a really big moment. And so I remember um, the conversations went pretty quickly. The sales process takes forever. But, you know, um, when I got my um, LOI from them, I about passed out just from, I, I just, I mean, I'll I'll tell you something. I've never, I never paid myself really well in this business. I never made six figures in this business. I never, I always took really good care of my employees because I knew I couldn't do it without them. And I'm not saying that because I'm a martyr. I knew if I don't have them, I can't grow this, but I never imagined someone coming along and wanting to write a check for my business. And so, yeah, that was in 2017 and the sale took about um, a little over a year.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and a year, I was going to ask you how long did the, that process take? And and that's even with them sort of tapping you on the shoulder, so, so to speak. It's, yeah. you know, if you're obviously going out to the market and creating a process and trying to find lots of buyers and pre-screen them and oh, yeah. you know, that's you take... it to take.
1: I mean, I will say I was in a, in a spot where I didn't need to sell nor had I thought about selling. So it, it's the perfect position to be in as far as, I don't know, I guess if it doesn't go through, I'm doing fine. You know, we had just landed CVS 9,000 stores and they had not yet landed placement in CVS in that aisle. And so I think part of it too was they wanted to buy retail space um, by acquiring the products because once they have a foot in the door, then they can get in and um, by acquiring our you know, our retail space, they also acquired our terms with these retailers, they acquired a lot of the the shelf space, all, all the nuts and bolts of those deals. And so it was um, something that I think was attractive to them. And for me at the time, you know, we went back and forth, of course, it's a game. Um, you know, I remember sitting at a bar one time with the CEO, and he's like, well, if it doesn't happen this year, maybe next year. And I'm like, yep, if it doesn't happen this year, maybe next year, like, I, I'm not gonna and and I, I know and respect him and he's a he's a great guy and I appreciate that he bl- believed in my business but I really wasn't in a position of I need to sell. That said, there were thoughts of the five six seven years prior when I want I would be crying like oh my gosh I can't do this anymore it's too hard. Um, I I realized this was my my shot. You know, I realized it was an offer that I would probably never see again. Maybe I would. But I also realized 10 years in, I was like, I wonder what else I can do. I was just curious what else is in me. Um, because I, you know, my, my fear as an entrepreneur was I was just going to be this one hit wonder. You know, maybe I was just lucky. And I think I look back and I'm like, no, you know, I think that's the the evil voices in your head that tell you, you know, oh maybe I don't know. Could you do it again? Um, I know I could but what I want to, you know, um, it's, it's a grind. And like I said, my husband owns his own company. So I, I get the joys of that too. Um, but you know, all that said, it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I think in a way it was forcing me to look at my life and be like, okay, um, you've done this for 10 years. And I was, to be honest with you in the everyday business of it, Simon, I was kind of bored. I loved sales. I loved the win. I love the thrill. I love. But when I went to sell the business, it was actually really fun. All the due diligence, doing all the financials, getting all that, like working with the attorneys and my business advisors at the time. That was fun. That was challenging uh, because it was something new and different. And I knew, you know what, that's that's where I know that I'm kind of cut out to do something next. Not,
0: yeah. not
1: necessarily, you know, had to sell. But this is interesting for me.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, I I think you know what you've described there is once again. I'm giving you another entrepreneurial ticky. You know, (laughs) oh, found a challenge. This is tickling that part of my brain. This is exciting. I love that. Um, Can I ask? I don't know if you can share what the valuation or what the price was, but can you could you tell us how they came up with their number? Like, was it a multiple of? EBITDA or was it some other method?
1: Yeah, it was five times earnings, um, which is pretty common in the consumer goods space. You know, it's nothing compared to like these SaaS companies now. Their valuations are like through the roof. But it was it was five times earnings at the time, and um, it was a it was a really fair offer. I felt like for what we were doing um, in revenue. Um, you know, we had top retailers where Target, Amazon was actually, whenever we sold, Amazon was actually our number one retailer, um, with Target, Walgreens and CVS being next.
0: Nice. Well, a small little technical question, if I could, um, just cause I know this will probably be going through the minds of some of the listeners. Um, without getting into the detail, did you have to make any adjustments for your salary in the final deal like did they say well you haven't been paying yourself enough and we need to allow for that or something like that
1: yeah we we made it um where it was which made it better for me right because there was a there was a price it was a it was an asset sale and um and then you know a position and all my employees got jobs as well um, which was important awesome. to me um There's more on that later, but, um, but, but that said, you know, they provided me with a a salary that was equal to their VP positions, um, in the company, which was way more than I had ever paid myself. Um, but it's, it's so funny how that did not, it didn't, I guess whenever you're used to running a business, you're like, okay, that's nice. Um, the, the nicest part about selling it was like, oh my gosh, you mean I don't have to worry about payroll. Okay, um, but <laughs> okay. but I would say all the niceties were definitely overshadowed by the fact that I had lost creative control. I had lost, um, you know, when a big so they're a, a uh, they're a publicly traded company and huge, and you know we got swallowed up in it, and which was fine, um, but I was. I think led to believe that I would have a lot more input say I tried to negotiate. Okay. Well, how much are you going to allocate towards marketing because we do a ton of marketing. Oh no, don't worry. We'll give you plenty of budget for that. They didn't give us plenty of budget for that. And so, you know, watching, watching a big company swallow up a small brand um, can be quite disheartening, which is, you know, why I'm obviously, glad that it's kind of in my past i've, I've kind of had to like let go of that brand so to speak but i stayed on with the acquiring company for about a year um and then everybody wants to know what i did next um i took a lot of time off and decided i was going to go live in italy for six months i was oh, i know <laughs> I was incredibly single um in a, in a good way and i just sold my business and was kind of bored walking at the beach every day and, and, you know, at the time, let's see, 39, I guess I was at the time was too young to retire in my mind. So I'm going to go travel and then COVID hit. So I was not able to go to Italy, um, but instead ended up meeting a wonderful man from my hometown actually wow. uh, moving back to Colorado <laughs> and getting married at the age of 41 and having a baby at 42. So it has been a whirlwind awesome. since then. but you know, had I never sold that company, I look back now, right? I don't know if I would have um, even been open to the idea of like I wouldn't have left Newport Beach and my company to for a guy. You know, <laughs> um, but I was in this place where I was like, oh, like I'm kind of just whatever's next. So it's been really cool to watch how the thing that at first was really, really hard for my identity. Like, who am I now has helped me find a whole new version of my version of myself, you know, wife, mom, stepmom that I never even knew existed outside of Angela, the entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool. I, as a as a father myself, you know, I know having kids, I mean, they're the most amazing thing, the most frustrating thing, the most challenging <laughs> thing, the most beautiful thing, the most, you know, like yeah. it's, it is, it's such a, it's, it's, it's a different journey that changes you as a person, yeah. I think. And it's, it really and that's does. a good thing, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think I'm so grateful that I, I'm doing this later in life. I know a lot of people were like, whoa, you're 42 having a baby. I'm like, yeah, and I'm healthy and it's going to be fine. And Thank God we had a very healthy baby girl, very happy baby girl. Um, But gosh, you know what? I get to enjoy her in a way that I wouldn't at 20, 25, 30. Um, Running a business, uh, you know, I have the luxury. I call it that because it's true to stay home with her. Um, I do some other things part time because I'm a very active person. And oh my gosh, my daughter is so busy all the time. She's squawking right now. Like, I I don't know where she gets it from. Um, But, you know, uh, it's it's so fun to be able to get to spend that time with her that I think had I been a young mom and everybody has a different journey. I just did the career thing first. Um, and I also know that I can do both, but she's my priority. Um, always is my priority at this point in my life.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And, and congratulations. You know, it's, you. Uh, it's what a wonderful journey. It, um...
1: it's, it's been wild
0: yeah and and other than the uh the the mum project and that part of your life, is there any other sort of business things that you're you're working on at the moment?
1: yeah so pretty early on um when I met my husband, the reason he had reached out to me was you know I was an entrepreneur and he had watched a podcast and wanted to talk more, and I'm like do you want to know about my business or do you think I'm cute? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> pretty soon he realized we, we, we liked each other, but I love that he was an entrepreneur. You know, he had uh, run his own software company. He's very successful. Um, and he had a software company in the equine space. And I grew up riding horses and all that. And so Early on, I was like his branding and marketing. I was like, oh, gosh, I need to get my hands on this business. And so, you know, I started just dabbling in it just because I wanted something fun to do. And my skills were so opposite of his that I, you mentioned you work with your wife. I um, I work very part time, but I help my com- my husband with his company and love it. Um, it's a company and a passion project that I, I just I love it. I love our team. Um, it's so different. It's a SaaS company. It's so completely different from tracking inventory and selling products. Um, And then also um, my husband's company actually got accepted into these uh, local incubator um, here in Colorado Springs. And so I think he knew I was bored and I didn't have a job or anything. And he's like, Hey, you need to come meet these people here. They're your people. And sure enough, it's called exponential impact. Um, And so his company went through the program. um, And through that, I met the founder of it. And now I'm a, a, strategic advisor and a mentor for the the program so as i mentioned like tomorrow night i'll be speaking um we focus a lot on these startups that either like very much at the very beginning stages on to companies that are um you know raising money um and so it's really fun For me to get like I said, these are my people. So I've really loved working. We call it XI, but I love working at XI. Um, I work there one day a week. Um, I go into the office and I mean, I literally work like five or six hours a week, but I love it. Um, and I also volunteer my time with them as well. And I think it's really important to give back. Um, and my, you know, where I love giving back is startups and entrepreneurs and things like that. So yeah, I I did try starting like a consulting company, but I learned I do not like consulting that much. I like I like being in it. Like I I I don't want to work with you for two months and then like Oh gosh! Everything we did that did not work, or you know, or I, it's again, it's a control thing, right, Simon? If I'm in it, I want to know it's going to be successful. If my name is going to be attached to it, so I'm loving these two projects I'm involved in now. Um, sometimes people ask me to do consulting, and I just politely say I'm raising my nine-month-old baby, and I'm happy as can be. So um, it's a really good balance.
0: Yeah. Well, I think once you've been through that cycle, you know, you've started it, you built it, you've nurtured it, grown it, exited it. You know, you, the way you can add value is through your wisdom and experience and the, all those sort of things. It's not about you putting in more hours to grind the hard work, it's about helping people make some of those important decisions that maybe even the make or break of, of their future. So um, I,
1: I, I do love that. And I, it's so interesting because, you know, at first I was a little intimidated because most of the companies that go through the accelerator are high tech. And I was like, Oh gosh, like I had a product company. I don't know how I can be of use to them. Um, but lo and behold, I found out technologists are not always marketers. Um, and they don't think, and cause I would say marketing branding, um, just the look and the feel and the, you know, the essence of a company, is what excites me. Um, and I think it's just part of my, my talent to like see those kind of things. And, and, and so I love taking companies and just seeing things. And in a 30 minute conversation, either, you know, giving them an idea that could save them a ton of money or telling them that's absolutely not going to work. Don't do it. Or, you know, did you check the patent or the trademark on that? Cause I'm pretty sure that's another company. Oh, Oh no. <laughs> you know? So it's just those conversations where I always say like entrepreneurship, we, we need therapists because that that's why you need other entrepreneurs. Um, because, you know, it really is, lonely a lot of times um
0: that's that's a really good good point and um you, you know one of the things that I had a a friend and a mentor tell me when I was well probably about 15 years ago you've got to be careful who you take advice from sometimes and and I think yeah. you know as entrepreneurs you, you want to be mindful I mean don't get me wrong you might get legal advice from a lawyer stuff stuff like that but like Be careful if you're getting advice from people who haven't walked the path themselves Um, because at the end of the day, unless they've had a few sleepless nights and not sure if their own business was going to survive and whether they were going to lose it all, they probably don't necessarily know what you're going through. And it's just, yeah, I think that side of things is, I think that's really important anyway. And that's that whole entrepreneurial community, right? Is that others are going through similar things.
1: This is why, Simon, I'm so annoyed by this world of everyone's a coach.
0: Oh God. Yeah, I know. I
1: Cause it, people wanted me to coach them and I'm like, Mm-mm, cause I'm not, and I'm not putting those people down, but in my opinion, like, okay, you're coaching me on how to build a seven figure business. How did you build a seven figure business? You built a seven figure business by selling other people on coaching to sell them a seven figure business. Like it, what did you, what did you create other than selling hype and, and I have so many. It was part of what I love is talking to other entrepreneurs who have made exits and realize what a small, small group of people and how few people can relate. You know, I was talking to a gentleman here in the Springs who he made a huge exit. Um, nicest guy you ever met. Um, we're sitting there and just commiserating because he's like, you know how many people don't understand, like, when they see you made an exit. But then you're like kind of sort of depressed, like you kind of don't like know what to do next. But no one feels sorry for you because they think you're just like bathing in money. And he's like, but that's not why I did it. And that like that doesn't bring happiness. And and I, I think what's hard for entrepreneurs who make an exit, and I'm sure you run into this all the time. This is what you do for a living is there really is this need, in my opinion, for you know, maybe that's what you do. I, I don't know. But how, what what's next? What's after the exit? Who are you now that you sold your business? Um, because I think that there's this identity crisis. Um, and, and I would like to say, I would think, oh, well, I, I shouldn't have had my identity be so much my business. I believe that you have to have your identity be your business in order to be successful, at least in the short term. Um, you know, part of why... I- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say, I look, I totally get it and I agree. You know, th- at the end of the day, you have to put some part of you into that business for it to get past all those challenges. And, yeah, look, sure, if you scale it enough and, I, you know, we've had a number of guests on the show that have had big exits. Um, you know, the gentleman I just got off the phone the previous episode, you know, he just sold his business for 43000000 bucks. million. I'm like, yeah, by the time you're getting to 100 staff, like, yeah, sure, it ceases to be about you and your personality then you know it's well if it is still about your personality you probably need to look at yourself uh, you know and deal with that (laughs) issue because
1: that's That's a whole
0: other probably not not healthy but um yeah but you do scale beyond the owners but it's I agree with you if you want to nobody gets to that point without doing the hard grind and building it to the seven and even eight figures before they can the business is big enough to do that
1: yeah and and you know that quote it's business it's not personal I'm like this is the most personal thing in the world, you know. It's <laughs> it's how I literally put food on the table. And yeah. yeah, it's it's been it's been quite the journey since I sold it and I I I would say if you would have talked to me a few years after selling it, I still would have been trying to tell you what I was doing. I was, you know, I had a website and I'm going to do consulting and here's how you can work with me and here's my rates and and it was me still trying to feel relevant. And I've I think becoming a mother made me realize that that's the most relevant I ever need to be, is to be her mom. And I don't have anything left to prove. And anything else I do professionally or even personally beyond being a mother, that's just crazy. And I, I feel so fortunate to be in that place because, Simon, I was not in that place for the first few years. It was it was really tough. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a book because then maybe I'm important. And then, oh, I'm going to start another business because, you know, I better be able to do it again. Or I'm going go to go travel to Italy because that sounds really cool. You know, I didn't know what that was that was going to Fill that void. Um, But I was trying everything. Uh, But lo and behold, you know, COVID and then now this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's that simple essence of knowing now that you are enough.
1: Yeah. You've done enough.
0: It doesn't matter anymore. Like it's, and and I think too, as as you're starting to do clearly, you know, in terms of mentoring other people or starting to give back and do different things, you can do that from a very, balanced place and it's just becomes more about how do I really add value and and I think too I think you certainly I can tell from just talking to you you have that sort of humility to go well Actually, if I don't have the answer, then I don't need to try to have the answer either. It's not, but I probably know someone who does
1: because I know really cool people. Totally, you know, like, right? That's a, (laughs) I always say, like, I'm not that important, but I know really important people. Um, You know, you said something. uh, I was just having a conversation yesterday at lunch and a a mentor and, and friend of mine, and he, he said, you know, someone turned to him and said, you know, you, you're enough. And he was just like, oh, my gosh. And so he has that word written on like in his in his office or something like that. And um, it's really interesting. One of my board members told me, Angela, um, entrepreneurs are some of those insecure people you will ever find because we're always trying to prove we're good enough. And I'm like, oh, man, that's deep. That's therapy deep. But it's true. Right. You know, and so I, I think it's really interesting. And I think entrepreneurship as a whole is such a. It's such a, um, very few people have it in them. I would say that. And I, I don't say that because I'm saying I'm amazing. I'm saying I was stupid enough to try it and I was strong enough to hold on. And that, you know, that would be my my tip for most people out there is perseverance. And and it's such an overused word because most people say passion and I'm like, bah. passion, great. But if you do not keep going, um, you know, and there there's, there's wisdom, right? You want to have advisors that are like, man, you better, you better hang up your hat. This is not going in the right path. You've lost a ton of money. Nobody's buying your stuff. Um, But when the going gets tough, you know, and it's just hard and you're, you are working weekends and 80 hour weeks and making 40,000, like your friend said, um, can you keep going? Do you have it in you? Um, You're going to have to white knuckle it a lot. And, and I truly believe if you can, that hard work pays off. Not all the time. And I think that's why I sold. I was like, you know what? Sometimes it's like, okay, well, I could hold on and maybe make more money, but why, what am I trying to prove? Like, sometimes it's like, you know what? It's, it's, I put 10 years of my life into this. I got to cash out. And then go live another version of myself and maybe another one after that and another one after that. Um, Sometimes I think knowing when to let go is a, is a skill.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I say to anybody who's listening to this and and is experiencing those harder challenges too, don't ever be afraid of reinventing yourself, but, you know, as you're going through some of these challenges too, be kind to yourself. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the the things we say to ourselves and the language we even use and it's, you know, no, I'm guilty of it. I mean, we're all yeah. guilty of it, but I just-
1: I probably did it on the podcast, Simon. I'm like, I'm, I'm harsh, I'm like, but on myself, right? That's a yeah. driver personality, yeah. but you're right. There is a kindness. Um, and I think you said something, I read it on your podcast somewhere about celebrating the wins, you know? And, and I think that is the hardest thing as an entrepreneur because the minute you land target, okay are we in all stores okay great well so we'll get cvs but that's only 2500 stores but i want to be in all nine thousand. and then okay well well, walgreens has seven thousand, so we could get that and then they're acquiring like it's just never enough and and that is the personality of someone that is going to be that driver and that achiever um but i would say we did a good job of celebrating the wins along the way i loved my team i was so proud of what we did we had we had a lot of fun and so we would celebrate a lot. (laughs) Um, as far as, you know, this little team, I mean, to think about, you know, the size of business that we grew with only six people was pretty, pretty impressive. So I was very proud of that. So I always wanted them to know how, how much they were a part of what we did. It was not just me. Um, even my friend we'd go into target and she's like, look, like, look at you. And I'm like, look at me. Like you, you literally did the design on it. Like, it, it's amazing. I wanted them to all feel that sense of ownership and and, and part of our success.
0: Absolutely. Every, everybody needs to have a, I mean, a purpose is another one of those words that probably gets a little bit overused, but it's, you know, I, I actually think a sense of purpose is typically about working on something that's actually bigger than yourself and it has meaning. And, you know, if you if you feel like you've contributed to something special, like that's that's that you own that in your heart of hearts. That's that's with you for the rest of your life, and it's. Um, it. and
1: I think that's part of how you get. You know, one of the the talks that we're giving at Xi is on how to recruit employees to a risky venture. You know, and it's like if the founder is not sold out for it and has that purpose of doing something bigger than themselves, um, why would anyone want to come work for you? Let alone why would anyone want to buy it? Right. So you really have to be sold out for that. Um, and I think that's how you attract and retain really
0: good people yeah well and there's uh, another three hours of us talking about culture but uh (laughs) because we could we could no doubt do that but it's uh yeah (laughs) Angela thank you so much for coming on the show like I've I've, I've loved hearing your story and I've just loved chatting to you you know it's you know somebody who's walked the path and has had all the ups and downs and you know done a few loops on the merry-go-round right Um, like it's and it's it's wonderful, and I just yeah, really appreciate it. I know people listening to this will, will just get so much from from hearing thank from you. your experience. So um, thank you. so thanks and for so, making the time.
1: Yeah, I, I had to dust off my stuff and be like, I haven't done a podcast in a while since I had my baby, so I, I was excited to to talk to you. And um, obviously love, love your podcast, so I'm excited to be on here, and thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, look, my absolute pleasure. Um, are you happy for people to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Awesome. Um does LinkedIn work what's the best method for, for LinkedIn, people to Yeah
1: so um my maiden name was Angela Mater but now I've got married so it's Hartson and um my website's just angelamater.com m a d e r and cool. yeah I'm I'm happy to have people reach out to me I'm always <laughs> although it sounded like I wasn't in the beginning but I have a feeling your listeners are my people
0: <laughs> Yeah I'm sure they are so awesome. well look I'm going to put those links in the show notes Thank you once again. Really, really appreciate you making the time. um, It's been wonderful chatting with you.
1: Thank you, Simon.
0: Awesome. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, If you would like to talk to somebody about your journey, if you're having those ups and downs, if you want to understand how to plan for an exit like this um, or you just want to know what your business is worth, please feel free to reach out to us at exitadvisory.com.au. Uh, one of our team members would be very happy to jump on a call and just have a chat if that's what you need. Thanks for your time and join us on the next episode. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Wherever you are on your business journey, it's worth understanding what is driving value into your business and what could be holding you back. For more information, speak to the team at Exit Advisory Group by going to exitadvisory.com.au or send an email to ask at exitadvisory.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bernard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.